Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Business from the Bass Boat on the Serious Angler Network, powered by X2 Power. And guys, today we've got an incredible episode lined up. One thing I did want to talk about, last week we did not have a show. I was actually on a two-week tournament bender. We had a TBF semi-national on Pueblo Reservoir, uh, finished third there. Had a really good day one and day two. I just couldn't repeat. It was, it was really strange. The fishery shifted a lot. I mean, I think there was only a one extra one limit the second day. The first day um, fished really well, and the second day was really really tough to find keepers. Um, and so it was it was a tough deal. Typical Colorado fishing there. Um, but then after that, first of all, that was a great run tournament. TBF did a fantastic job. If you miss the episode talking about tournaments, you should be fishing on a localized level. And I think even guys above that should be fishing them because of the opportunities at that higher level. TBF's a great one. Um, the next tournament was an ABA championship, a Western ABAs. These aren't the Eastern ABAs. They're different. We headed up to Turner and I headed up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And then, uh, so it was two days on Coeur d'Alene and then one day on Pond Array, which was, it was really cool. Coeur d'Alene, uh, incredible. Um, I love the Western landscapes. And the fishery was incredible. We ended up taking second there, which was fantastic. We had all smallmouth both days and um, had a fantastic tournament. That was on Coeur d'Alene. It was really cool. Brandon Polinick showed up to the weigh-in. Of course, he lives right there. And then day three was on Ponder Ray, which was uh, no practice. There's no practice on that second day because it's for a bass cat. And we ended up finishing somewhere in the middle of the pack there. So we qualified to be able to fish that, but uh, didn't get it done there, but had an incredible time on some, some pretty incredible fisheries and was blown away at the, uh, the scenery and both the largemouth smallmouth fishing. We ended up chasing smallmouth the entire time. And it was a blast because fall feed was starting to kick off and uh, the bite was good. But without further ado, guys, today's episode in true business from the bass boat fashion we are talking bass fishing electronics with Steve, the founder. This is a company that basically is an electronics dealer in the north, but they also do installs. And then in addition to that, they've created some really cool, unique products on specific needs that they have seen doing these installs, doing that kind of stuff, realizing, hey, here's a niche in this market. Um, you know, maybe there's a stabilizer that they see fit as better. So those are the things we're going to talk about today, how Steve has built this business and everything he's got going. And without further ado, let's bring him in. Steve, how are you, man? Good. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. It is, uh, I'm in Colorado back, back from a tournament and it's starting to feel like fall a little bit. It was crazy at, in Idaho, it literally shifted. It went from being pretty warm to like totally starting to feel cooler in the mornings and was like dang this is uh, a good time of the year and it's probably happening because you're up you're in new hampshire right correct is it happening up there too starting to cool down yeah it's that time of year you get 75 degrees one day and then the next night you get a frost you know so it's <laughs> it's that time of year leaves are changing and uh just crazy weather the fish are, are going nuts right now getting ready for winter time no doubt. No doubt. And you're like a Champlain hammer, right? Like you spend a, spend a lot of time and you catch some fish out there on that, that body of water. Yeah. The last uh, few years, especially that's pretty much all I've been doing is going to Champlain. So it's, uh, 
it's always exciting up there. Everybody that's fished up there knows or, or just read articles online, right? That place is, I don't think there's anywhere in that lake that doesn't have a fish. So it, it's a pretty awesome place. Unreal, man. Like uh, it was, I, I experienced it for the first time this year. I just flew up and fished as a co-angler in the Toyota series up there and was like, man, this place is, uh, oh, I loved it. I loved it. It honestly reminded me actually quite a bit of Coeur d'Alene in Idaho, just the small mouth, large mouth comparison, good fishing for both of them. Um, and just a, a big natural body of water. So it was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a unique place. It, it's, it's pretty funny. I took my son out, he's four years old and we wanted to, you know, get him more into fishing and we put a night crawler on a drop shot and, and we literally just stopped in the middle of nowhere and he caught a four and a half pounder. <laughs> it just, they're just everywhere. <laughs> it, they live everywhere on that place, man. Like it's, it just blows me away. Like at end to end, it seems like, um, at least during that tournament, you could drop the trolling motor and look on scope and catch one. Like it was, uh, it was yeah. pretty wild. Dang. Well, that's awesome, man. So do you get, do you have any other derbies this fall or is it pretty much wrapped up there and it's going to start getting really, really cold? Yeah. I mean, they, they wrap up this time of year. They'll, they'll run a few tournaments the next couple weekends, just some small local opens. But for the most part, I, I just go fun fishing this time of year. It's nothing real big. So if you get on the right school, I mean, you can, you can drop down with active target or live scope. And I mean, you'll see 30 or 40 of them just bunched up. It, it can be a needle in a haystack, but when you find them, it's, it's pretty wild. It's go time. That's sweet, yeah. man. Oh, very cool. Well, dude, let's talk how everything started for you. So New Hampshire, I know there's some small bodies of water that have phenomenal fishing. That's what I've heard anyways. Um, and then you, like you said, you're close to, how close are you to Champlain? How far is that drive out of curiosity? So it's like two and a half to three and a half hours, depending on which part of the lake I'm going to. Not horrible. Not horrible. I mean, Seth, definitely. Like, would you call that your home body of, of water tournament wise? Or is there some? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I mean, but Winnipesaukee, you know, a lot of people have heard of that in yeah, New Hampshire. Yeah. That That's definitely closer, but I just choose not to fish there. They don't get as, I guess they do get bigger numbers, like boat wise, but it's just a tough place to fish. It's not catered to bass fishermen like Champlain. So lots of, of, uh, high end homeowners that don't want you fishing around their stuff and, you know, $20 ramp fees. And just, uh, there's a lot that goes on with Winnie. So I, I choose to avoid that and go, go up to Champlain. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, anyways, tournament angler yourself and how did things really get started for bass fishing electronics for you? Um, what was, what was the motivation? And I just want to hear kind of how it all started. Yeah. So it's kind of, I kind of lucked into, or, or just kind of fell into the business really. I started, so I've worked on medical equipment for 12 years, uh, basically as soon as I got out of college and, um, I started, you know, I started going up to Champlain more and it's just super expensive to go travel that far every weekend. Right. So I needed some way to, to fund that addiction that I had. <laughs> Yeah. So I started, uh, I started buying used fish finders up and selling them on eBay. <laughs> so Love it, man. It just organically, I was trying to make like 500 bucks a month and, um, I'd sell a few fish finders here and there and it just snowballed. And I think one, one spring at the beginning of the year, I had like 72 used fish finders in stock and my wife's wow. like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> got these things stacked up in the living room. Um, that is and awesome. I, I sold through every single fish finder in like a month, uh, in the spring. And I was like, wow, this is, 
you know, there's something to this. And uh, so seasonally, did you feel it was like so you're buying them out of season kind of a deal, like in the winter, and then they sold more in the in the spring, or was it kind of just yeah? I think everybody everybody's offloading their stuff towards the end of the year, right? They want to upgrade, or they're getting a new boat, whatever it is, right? So all everybody wants to get rid of them in the fall or winter time, and then in the spring they're ready to buy new stuff. So that's kind of what skyrocketed, And, and then you know it just took off in the spring. Gotcha. That's crazy. So, so you started, you started flipping them. Love that. Like entrepreneur spirit, <laughs> just flipping, flipping graphs. You probably learned the market. Right. And, and like, what kind of graphs were you like, what time frame was this? Like how, what, what graphs were these like HD one HDS ones, like gen ones, what, what kind everything, what kind of stuff? Yeah. It, w- it was mainly the rant stuff. Like it was HDS, okay. uh, gen one, non-touch screens, gen two, non-touch screens, gen two touch screens, just, okay. Pretty, I, I I got to the point where I knew down to the dollar what I could offer for a unit and what I could sell it for. So wow. <laughs> it was I didn't even have to think about it. I, I was doing so many of them. And where were you buying them? Just off eBay as well? And, and I'd what? buy some on eBay and some on just online forums and stuff like that. Some through Facebook. I mean, Facebook's gotten kind of out of control with the scams these days. It's It's right. way worse than it was a few years ago. Sure. Um, and I got bit a lot. I, you know, there's no you, doubt about it. I'd, I'd get broken fish finders and stuff like that. And the guys would disappear. And, you know, there's, there's definitely times where I lost a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. But that was all part of, the, you know, growing it. So. Sure. And and just just a quick side note there. We can get back in. But with do you have any advice for anyone out there who is buying used electronics? Um is there any way to test anything beforehand or is it kind of like, hey, you're taking someone's word for it other than obviously you will talk about it here, but your used marketplace on the website. But when it's like a that just that traditional Facebook marketplace or Craigslist, whatever, is there any any advice that you'd give somebody? So the only true way that you can protect yourself, in my opinion, is by using PayPal goods and services. Um, okay. That's the only way, you know, if. And they got me at the beginning. I'm not going to lie. When when Facebook started integrating PayPal or letting you use PayPal, they made it look like you were using PayPal goods and services. Or if you didn't do your research, you didn't know. And I lost 600 bucks from a guy doing that because it goes through his friends and family and, and you have no leg to stand on. So that that's the biggest thing is using PayPal goods and services. There may be some other stuff out there now, but that that's all I know of. And if you get it and it's broken, you just file a claim and, and they never, I never got burnt if I did it that way. And, and just, uh, I've, I've used PayPal goods and services. I've never been burned. I haven't bought all that much stuff, um, <laughs> online like that. But when there is a situation is PayPal refunding that or, or who who's paying that out? Or do you know? Yeah, I think it, it's all done. You know, I'm sure they're insured and everything and it they refund the money back. I mean, you have to send proof that you have it or what's wrong with it. And then you have to try to send it back to the the uh, seller and all that stuff. But gotcha. Uh, every ever since I used goods and services, I never I never had an issue. But it's it's crazy what links they're going to. Like one of the local guys I know yesterday a lot of them will just will start messing with these scammers and he asks you know you can tell like a guy listed a hds 12 live yesterday for 400 bucks like that's, i mean yeah. give me a break if you buy that i don't know what the, I, I mean you know that nobody's gonna sell it for 400 bucks right <laughs> exactly exactly for 12 grand and it's a sixty five thousand dollar bass boat right. so don't, don't even click on it <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. I mean, you do have to use some common sense. You know what I mean? If it's too good to be true, then it is. If it's a hundred bucks cheaper, maybe it's legitimate. But this guy actually went to the length of photoshopping in a, a letter, like a, a piece of handwritten paper with his name and date on it over top of the unit when the kid asked for him to do that. He actually went to that length and did it. And I'm sure a lot of older guys wouldn't have recognized that that was photoshopped, you know? So it's pretty, (laughs) it's definitely sketchy to buy stuff off of Facebook these days. No doubt. No doubt. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good advice. Appreciate you sharing that stuff. Um, So when did you feel like, Hey, I could maybe turn this into an actual business or where did that come about? Yeah. So I don't, I don't remember exactly how I made the connection, but I ended up getting in contact with uh, one of the reps from Lawrence. I think okay. it might've been through Bass Pro maybe because I was on the Lawrence Pro staff. So I was doing site visits and stuff for them at Bass Pro. And I think that's how I got in contact, but basically Lawrence just kind of opened their doors up to me and, and uh, you know, started talking to me about some different distributors that you can use. And, and um, I was able to end up going direct with them and, just kind of took baby steps. I was still working that medical job. So I was doing this on the side for, I did it for two years on the side. I just went full time, uh, last September. So congrats, man. Yeah. Thank you. But it was, it was a big leap. I mean, it, you know, I was, I was working basically from six in the morning till midnight, either on one, one job or the other, you know what I mean? And Grinding. the messages, you know, I'd take phone calls from customers at nine, 10 o'clock at night and Facebook messages. And I just basically went all in on, on responding to people and, and being, trying to, to be as helpful as I possibly could and, and not just take and give back, you know, in a lot of these Facebook groups and stuff like that. Like it wasn't just all about selling stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. So especially in those early days um, when you were flipping and then starting to turn it into a business, I mean, what were your just range of, margins were you looking for like on on that stuff i mean you see kind of some of these these trading programs popping up you see guys selling it which i think are are fantastic ideas because everyone wants the latest and greatest and everyone someone may not want to deal with the actual selling of a unit right they're like hey just trade it in i want my new one let's just move on it's with cars you see it with everything right but i guess you know um especially in those in that early days you're saying like hey i made 500 bucks this month that kind of a thing like you know, you probably had the buy criteria set up perfectly, but just a range, you know, what percentage were you trying to kind of like get on a, on a, um, used unit to then flip? Yeah. I mean, I was basically trying to make like a hundred bucks per unit after shipping and all that, you know, there was a lot of things I was naive to credit card fees and stuff like that and factoring in what you're going to have to pay in taxes. You know, I didn't have all that. (laughs) I have learned, an unbelievable amount of lessons over the last three years. Let's say that. Cause I am not a business guy. I didn't go to college for business. I never even thought about having a business. It's never even crossed my mind. Um, so I, I, I learned the hard way on pretty much everything. <laughs> if there was something to do wrong, I've done it wrong. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love it. Well, that's, that's the way to learn for sure. Well, let's get into BFE's, uh, some specific stuff that, uh, that you feel kind of too, that, um, they separate you guys in the electronic space. So just on your website in general, right? You guys offer the main three brands. We got Hummingbird, got Garmin, got Lowrance, um, all of that stuff. Do you feel like 
that inventory on all of those right now is is getting better than it was over this last year or or how how is stuff sitting right now in the fall of 2022 yeah so i mean it's it's different for each brand right but um like garmin has done the best through covid out of everybody but that's really? i would say they probably have the most money out of everybody to throw at things and and have bigger yeah. facilities and and all of that right they're just a massive company they're not just fishing electronics by any means yeah right yeah. so They've definitely done the best. I mean, they obviously had their struggles back, you know, a year, year and a half ago, whatever, through COVID. Um, but right now, Garmin is pretty much has everything readily available. And and we finally started seeing that from Johnson Outdoors, from Minn Kota and, and Humminbird. Yes. You know, they, they've been, they've struggled the worst, there's no doubt. Everybody's seen it mm. through COVID. Um, Try getting your hands on it. Yeah, for a while, the 360 was just like. Yeah, I mean, wow. I would get in. I would get in fifteen mega three sixties that I had on back order for you know a year or something, and they would sell out in ten minutes. Like it was, you just <laughs> oh it, it was crazy. <laughs> and, and now we finally we see stock pretty much everywhere now on the mega three sixties. But there's still certain versions of it, the no mount versions and Fortrex versions and stuff. Like a Fortrex version mega three sixty, I've had on back order for a year and three months now. <laughs> so wow. They're they're still like I think they've had to pick and choose their battles on what sells the best for them, and that's what they have to put their effort into. But they're not some massive company like Garmin. I mean, they are a big company, but they don't have yeah. the backing like them. So they kind of have to to pick and choose, I guess, what's selling best and and put their eggs into that basket. And we're well, still you know, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say. I mean, like that's a that's a something that I heard the other day. Just I'm a into this whole business stuff in general right and so i was listening to an economics podcast talking about car dealers right now and not just car dealers car manufacturers rather they were saying like you know the whole chip shortage there for a while f-150s right you couldn't get vehicle chips um and and i'm talking micro or like the computer side of these vehicles but anyways like manufacturers had to pick and choose on what they were going to do because these chip manufacturers could only make so much at a certain time. So like their mindset was like, well, we might as well go to the high margin products right now. So your, so your uh, SUVs and trucks and those types of things, because it's either like those or cars, we don't have enough to do both at this moment. Like hopefully that right. expands later, but like, that's, that's crazy to think about like same decisions, right? Like you, you only have a limit. If you have a limited amount of resources, you can only choose one way to go. And so like in, in your, example of 360 it makes more sense to go with Altrex, the Altrex connection versus a fortrex because it's like more guys are going to put 360 in an Altrex than they are a fortrex right gotcha it's it's tough for these guys to you know as manufacturers to know what to put out you know and and you got to keep in mind too for the last two years plus they've they got to come out with new stuff too <laughs> you know sure. and and that's just it, it's hard i mean I think we all get impatient, right? That's just the world we live in. We want it and we want it now. But, you know, from, from being a dealer, I, I kind of have a little more sympathy for these guys, right? Because I get to see the back end. And I mean, the amount of work that these reps have done from all the companies has been exceptional, even though some people might hate Lawrence or they might hate Humminbird or wh whatever. I mean, behind the scenes, these guys are working their butts off day in and day out, and they get basically no credit for that at all. Sure. Sure. Dang. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, I'm curious too. So, so just going through right now, just on the website, 
how does like the trade-in program work um, in, in general for someone that's interested to maybe upgrade in this off season that we're getting into to go look into the 2023 season with maybe some new graphs? Yeah, so we have we finally got a, a trade in form uploaded on our website. So we we simplified that a lot because you used to just have to email us, and then I'm the one that does all the replying to the trade stuff. So it would come to me, and I'd have to evaluate it. But now we made it super easy. You just go right on the website, put in what you have, whether it's Hummingbird, Garmin, Lawrence. Uh, there's drop downs for if you have a transducer or not. And that goes directly to my email. I'd look at it and then just reply back with the trade value. And we give two options. You can pay full price and then it'll ship immediately and you get refunded when we receive your trade. Or we just take the trade value off and then we don't ship the new one until we get the trade in. Just We have to test it because we have unfortunately had people that, that are just getting rid of their, their problematic graphs. It, it hasn't happened much recently, but that used to happen quite a bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I will say too, what's really cool about that program guys on the website, again, this is bass, bass fishing, not fishing, but fishing electronics.com. Um, it has the accepted trades, So you can go through and look at your specific graphs, transducers that are, that are available to trade and uh, big selection. I mean, a lot of uh, opportunities for trade-ins it looks like. Yeah. I mean, we try to be open. We try to be fair too. Like, some guys expect they're going to get more, but I mean, we, we really don't have big margins on new stuff. The idea is we want to get you in here and experience, you know, using us as a, as a, as your dealer and, and just see what it's all about and, and see the support that you're going to get. This isn't like going to one of these big corporations, you know, where you're going to walk into some young kid that knows nothing about it. And, and that's the end of it. I mean, I get calls and text all the time with technical questions, all that stuff. And, it's me that's answering that. We don't have some big support staff here or anything or some overseas, you know, customer support. It, it, this is a small mom and pop shop that, that we're looking to, you know, we're, we're selling all over the country. And, and that's, I think, a big part of it because I'm not, I'm not going to BS people. I'm not going to lead them in the wrong direction. I'm going to lead them in the direction that I think is going to work for their personal setup and not just because I can make more money on you know, a Garmin Universal Lowrance or vice versa. It's it's not all sales based with me. It's I really want the guys to get what they need for their specific setup. Yeah. I mean that's that's like I think the best way to go about business, like you're betting on the relationship and the long term play, right? Like if I'm not trying to stick you with making a couple extra hundred bucks, um, that's not the goal. Like if we can if if we can build a relationship and the next time you buy a new boat the next time you're looking at upgrading your graphs, you're giving us a shot. Like that long-term play is so much more beneficial, makes everyone happier and the support. And um, at the end of the day, that person's a repeat customer. That's, that's the biggest thing. So I think that's a great way to go about stuff. And uh, the proper way, in my opinion, in today's world too, it's uh, it can be hard to find for sure. Yeah. I think that's, that's been a, a huge plus for us is, is repeat business. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to log into my web portal as, you know, for my website and see how many guys have ordered, you know, five, six, seven times just in the course of the last two or three years. I mean, it's, it, it's very humbling to see these guys take, you know, we still, you get a lot of the Southern guys, right. And they still think we're, uh, you know, they're calling us Yankees and stuff. And, you know, it's, all, it's always good fun for it's the most fun, part. Yeah. You know, I've, I've lived down in Alabama for a couple of years and I was born in Virginia. So, 
you know, I, I get it. I, I, I do. And, you know, it's, it's good for them to see that they can trust, you know, somebody up here in the Northeast too. And cause there's nobody else really doing it. And I just want to show people that we can be honest and fair and, and have their best interests in mind and not be just all about the dollar. And that's, that's really our main goal here to have that family feel to, to when you do business with us. Awesome. Awesome. For folks that are specifically in the Northeast and, or anybody who maybe is heading up there for a tournament and wants to get stuff done, do you, what's kind of your install stuff? Um, how has that come about and how's that business been? Yeah. So we, you know, I implemented the install part. I was doing it all on my own. You know, I was trying to do sales and installs and doing it all on my own. And I realized that wasn't feasible once we started to grow. So I was fortunate enough to hire on uh, Brian Visco. He's my main installer. Um, I was able to take him in and kind of teach him the ins and outs of fish finders. And he has a carpentry background, so it's worked out fantastic because he can make custom bow plates and, you know, whip those up in an hour or so or less. And, you know, these guys have got old cracked panels and stuff. He, the things he can do with Marine grade plastic is, (laughs) is pretty phenomenal. (laughs) Definitely. I could not do that. I'm going to admit that right now. So he's been a huge asset. He's been super loyal. He shows up every day and his attention to detail is just second to none. And he, he really carried out my vision on that of, of not sending something out the door. That's, that's done half, you know, whatever. (laughs) So when it goes out the door, I want it. I don't like to say I want it to look like my boat because I changed my boat <laughs> so much. It doesn't look that good. So yeah. I'm always trying different brands and, and different ways of doing things. So my boat's not the best example, but, um, you know, he, it just really, I think it makes a huge difference to the customer when they walk away and there's not cables flopping everywhere and, and you just keep things neat and tidy. I, I mean, it certainly takes more time, but, um, we we hardly ever get somebody that comes back from an install with an issue. And that's something like last year, all year, I think we only have one or two issues that were just, you know, things happen. But out of I don't know how many we did. I haven't kept track, but over 100. So it, it's pretty cool to to be able to support these northeast guys up here. And, and it's a lot bigger than we ever expected to. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, so like that's something that I have a, a, for some whatever reason. Um I have a big interest in like geographic areas where bass fishing is. And like, obviously the Southeast is huge. The Texas is huge. And then you kind of have like the Northeast and then you have the Western stuff. And and this is a conversation that Rick Pierce and I had with Bass Cat Boats on the show here in the last couple of months, just about kind of where some of this stuff is distributed and the percentage of, of bass fishermen. It's kind of crazy details, but like I would imagine um, in the Northeast more so than obviously in the South, in the Southeast, it's probably pretty hard to find somebody who's going to be doing your electronic installs at a very high level. Um, because we all kind of have no, or at least have maybe heard stories when it comes to like a traditional boat dealer, not to say some of those guys do a great job, but sometimes like they just, with the, the advancement in technology and how fast, graphs have expanded in the amount of graphs and the amount of power needed for graphs. Like we definitely saw like boats that came out that weren't ready to handle that stuff from dealerships, those kinds of situations have, have you really found yourself being the guy kind of in the Northeast or it seems like for guys traveling to come to you to get stuff rigged? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think it's gone that way. I mean, we get 
tons and tons of references and, you know, guys calling and say, oh, well, we got referred to you by six different people up here. And, you know, it, it's it's really cool to see the different uh, groups of guys that you didn't even know existed. You know, I've got to meet so many new people that I've never met before and that I didn't even know were around because you have this this tournament group of guys. Right. And that's who I know for the most part, just running sure. into them in tournaments. But you have this whole other group of guys, right? That there's not just one, but you have a group of guys that just want to go out and buy a new boat and do their own thing and, and enjoy it and just have fun with their kids it's or fish life, whatever, right? They just want to go out and fish, but they want the best, um, you know, the, the, the best live sonar, the best trolling motor. And you just don't get that if you go to one of these boat dealers or, or something, because for the most part, they've got younger kids working for them. And a lot of these kids don't use it or have that passion. And, and having that passion for it is really what drives the business, right? That's, I think, the biggest key to all of it. And I stay submersed in this every single day. Like everything I do is about fish finders and trolling motors, right? I'm always looking for what's coming down the road, what's changed, what's, you know, what's broken, what's, what's the best thing to have. So that passion is, is a hundred percent what drives it. And, and I, you know, I've, I've been fishing since I was two, so it's, it's deeply ingrained into my body. (laughs) Yeah, man. I love it. I think that's what's so cool about this industry in general is the passion that, that people have for it. And, uh, sounds like you're that way when it comes to electronics and the fishing in general. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to talk about, you've got some very cool mounts and stabilizers and some stuff on your website there, specific kind of just filling niches in the, in the market with your, your product. Um, let's talk a little bit about how that kind of came about and then, maybe the most popular one that you see kind of go out the door that people are enjoying. Yeah. So we, I think it was about two years ago or maybe a year and a half or so ago, I got approached by a guy named uh, Rick Weatherall and he came to me with, with some um, mega 360 brackets for the hummingbird to go on a ghost trolling motor because there really wasn't a great way to do it at the time. Um, You could make a little adapter plate similar to the Ultrex model but that really wasn't ideal uh, because of the, the way the ghost is designed. It's got that thicker shaft at the top of it and that's stationary. So he, I mean, he's just, he owned a machine shop his whole life. Super, super smart guy. He's a fisherman himself. And he came up with this idea to attach the brackets directly to that thick part of the shaft. So when you raise and lower the height of your ghost, ghost trolling motor in shallow water, the 360 moves with it. So, I mean, that's a no brainer if you've got a ghost, right? There's, it's not fixed. So you don't have to worry about raising your trolling motor up and tearing up your $1,200 transducer with the prop. You know what that's I mean? Awesome. Yeah. So that was, that was really what got the ball rolling with, with um, me saying, wow, we really could do some custom stuff. And, and I get to see the stuff every day cause we're doing installs. So I see where that demand is for these certain smaller products. Sure. Um, I mean, you're in there and you find something you're like, well, this could be better from this manufacturer or, Hey, we could add something here. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. The biggest thing that drives me crazy is a lot of stuff in this business. And, uh, you know, not to name any specifics, but there's just so many of these little niche products that are, the prices are just astronomical. Like you see a little piece of plastic and they're like 50 bucks. And you're like, I know that took $5 to make that. I mean, we all want good margins, right? We all want to make money, but sure. I mean, taking complete advantage, it really just drives me nuts. And that's, <laughs> that's just not how we operate. 
That's awesome. I, someone had to say it. Like, and I agree. I mean, there's sometimes like, or something breaks. And then uh, I had this happen when I was younger too on a reel. I had a very small little plastic piece break on a reel. I'm not going to name the brand. But I reached out and was like, hey, can I get another one of these pieces? Figuring that, okay, look, I've got a whole bunch of these reels. Maybe they'll just right. send me one, right? It's not a big deal. And it was going to cost like fifty five dollars for this piece and i'm like this is a 130 dollar reel like no right. like, i'm just not worth it i might as well like throw in the trash. like i was i was mad about it <laughs> like and it's so true like especially replacement parts it just can seem to be a, a main problem yeah and i mean we you know some of our products are not cheap I'm, I'm not gonna you know they're definitely not but the attention to detail if you get one of our stabilizers or our mounts or anything. I think you'll see that, you know, we've gone through some different generations of stuff and, and made them a lot better, but we're not, our goal isn't to be the cheapest by any means when it comes to caught or, you know, the least expensive, but we want to bring, we want to find that balance, right? The attention to detail, the craftsmanship plus functionality and something that's not going to break or give you a hard time. And so we, we stand behind everything we sell. We've had some, uh, our next biggest product I'd say is the stabilizers that we came out with for, uh, like right height turret pole mounts, these motorized pole mounts, right? That's kind of been a huge talking point since live sonar came out is getting that transducer off your trolling motor and how we're going to do that. Right. That's, sure. I mean, we just saw Humminbird release their version. That was pretty eye opening to see a big company take one on. Mm-hmm. So that, that shows there's definitely a demand there for that. Yeah. And, and honestly, so I went to ICAST this year, there was a couple of brands there um, doing the same deal, right? Making turrets, turret mounts for the other brands or saying, Hey, it's compatible with the hummingbird or the Garmin or the, or the um, Lowrance. And it was, uh, it was interesting to see. I agree. Like I, I do think there's some demand there, especially in current situations and or wind driven stuff that it's a, it's a pain to deal with. I personally am such a trolling motor person. But uh, I know that there's some ability to switch from either way from there. But um, crazy, man. I, I think that's awesome. Those those little niche deals. And it's all metal stuff, right? I mean, it's all machined. Like it's not it's not something that's plastic and flimsy and made to break in some of our some of our products. Right. I mean, that's the other big thing that we see in this business, right? Is 3D printed stuff. And that's another pet peeve. Like 3D printed is is cool for concept, but it really doesn't, in my opinion, have a place in a bass boat because the stuff just takes a beating from the sun and rough water and traveling. And so I mean we have some of our bushings and stuff are plastic, but it's all machined high quality Delrin plastic. Like we don't and plastic is insanely expensive right now. Yeah. So it's not like we're trying to go cheap. It's just some some things you need to use plastic, but all the supports and stuff are all uh, machined aluminum. So there's no, you know, that's all rugged stuff. I, we've never broken a stabilizer or anything like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, um, just a general question, especially when it comes to uh, rigging boats, but also just when you have orders and you're talking to customers um, about stuff. When a someone, I'm curious because I think I have a preconceived notion on some of this, but I'm when it comes to someone when they do get a new boat, brand new boat, got it from the dealership, you know, how many guys are coming and adding graphs or accessories or are ordering that boat without any graphs and coming to you? You know, maybe that call that one niche of business, but then you go the other way of like, used boats right or someone who's had a boat and now they're upgrading 
Like, do you feel as a electronics dealer specifically, do you deal more with that market or also some new boats that are coming in saying, Hey, we want this stuff added right away out of the get go. Yeah. So that's where the, the geographic location comes into play. I feel like we're not, we don't have the amount of new bass boats coming out that let's say, uh, like a guy down in South Carolina or Tennessee or, or Alabama, sure. right. They, there's just a way, way bigger market. Right. Mm-hmm. But we, I mean, we get a fair amount of guys that order boats stripped and it's growing every year as people are, are becoming, you know, more aware of us and trusting in us and stuff. They, we do get that quite a bit where guys will order a brand new bass boat completely stripped. Some of the brands it's tougher than others, but a lot of the brands will let you strip. like Skeeter, I mean, you have to order that with something on it. You know what I mean? So Well, and I think that that's partly, and I, I was talking to a, a Marine guy, or a dealer, basketball dealer about this too, and I think that's like, it's crazy to me that it's that way, but you're right. I mean, a lot of these, it's like they they buy, you know, a ridiculous amount of Lawrence's or Hummingbirds in, in at a price point, right? So they're getting a really good deal on that. So those are coming with those boats. Like I know like the Nitro package, like all the pros, or on their pro staff have to have a certain base level of graphs on it that come with it as part of that package. And so like, it's, it's interesting to see that. That's why I was curious is like how many of these guys are able to, uh, to, to get it, how exactly they want it and maybe different brands and those types of situations. Yeah, they, they don't, a lot of the manufacturers just don't make it easy. So you have to get it with something on it. It's kind of crazy. You know, you pay 80, 90 grand for a boat and it comes with a hummingbird transducer screwed in the transom. And you're like, this is, you know, what are we doing here? I, I, I wanted to put it on the jack plate. So I had no holes in the transom, but I can't even, I don't even have the ability to do that. It's, it's really an outdated mindset in my opinion. You know, I think I agree. I, I like dealing with the, the manufacturers that will just let you order it stripped. It's not from my business perspective, I'm just saying personally, when I order a boat, I want it stripped because I want to do it the way I want to do it. Right. I don't want a, a 0.1 antenna screwed into my deck with a, a five eighths inch hole in it in a place I didn't want it. You know what I mean? So I don't necessarily agree with that, but I get where they're coming from, right? They're getting volume discounts and they're not giving you the best deal in the world on the electronics. Like they're still making plenty of money. So they're making something on it. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I don't know, just a, an interesting thought. And and just uh, with your saying there, the transom mount versus, or a jack plate mount versus a transom mount, um, in your from your expertise in this, do you see a difference in your readings on side scan, down scan, 2D, all that kind of stuff when it's on the jack plate versus if it is transom mounted? No, I think I think you can really get fantastic images either way. Um, okay. But like our first generation of jack plate mounts that we made, I didn't allow it to drop down far enough from the jack plate. And I was never really thrilled with it. Like I'd get interference if I was going five, six miles an hour, I'd get some lines through the side imaging. But it was it was usable, you know what I mean? And I didn't have to drill holes in the transom. Sure. But we we ended up modifying that. We dropped it down. I, I forget how much, like an inch and a half or two inches. And my side imaging images now are, are incredible. Um, you know, I can scan at seven miles an hour and it's crystal clear. Wow. So it's, it, it's all just figuring out where it needs to be. So now, I mean, I'm a huge believer in just going strictly on the jack plate and then running a, a 2D transducer epoxied in the bilge. And that's, that's how sure. I run my stuff. Yeah. No, I like that a lot big fan of of that exact situation and, and mine's mine's mounted directly to my boat that's how it came right like same kind of situation we're talking about but in the future i'd love to do a jack plate 
account. That makes them a lot more sense in my eyes and you don't have to mess with anything. Not to mention if you have any issues, right? Like how many times do guys uh, bust a transducer off, run in shallow, hit a stump or something like that. And now it's, it, you're having to deal with the possibility of un or drilling out a, a, a screw that was epoxied in pull that out and then refilling that or putting a new mount on if you broke the mount and if it's just directly to the jack plate if you do screw something up bad enough a it's protected a little bit with the jack plate but b you can uh you can just put a new mount on yeah i mean worst case you're gonna bend your mount i mean we honestly haven't ran into that much but because it's kind of up and out of the way where it's at but I, that's my point worst, yeah worst case you're just gonna bend that and you you know we'll sell you Again, we try to help guys out. So if you just need a little piece off of the jack plate mount, we'll sell that to you. Like, you know, we're, we're here to help. Thing. <laughs> and we started making a, a port side one too. So it's kind of cool if you want to run like a Lowrance and a Humminbird next to each other, you can run mm-hmm. one on one side and one on the other. That's awesome. Yeah. Some of that stuff has been crazy to me. Uh, just hearing uh, different guy, things guys are doing, talking about running a live unit off of the back, off of the side seeing all kinds of crazy new stuff. Um, it's another market, man, that I think is, is starting to get notoriety and you're starting to see, like you look at pictures on Bassmaster um, of some pro doing something goofy and you're like, wait, why does he have that extra graph there? And then you look at his boat and there's maybe another, another unit facing off to the side or two live units on the front and like all this stuff, it's like there's little niche products that you can, build out from a machine shop standpoint for like little little deals there right yeah it's it's really taken off right because there's there's basically no limit anymore on what you what guys are going to do i mean (laughs) i feel like every year we add an extra graph right it was crazy to have two on the front and one on the back and then it was like well let's put two on the back and two on the front now we've got three on the front and three on the back or i've seen like just (laughs) crazy man yeah, I, I just saw one of the competitors, Hennessy Outdoors, he posted something yesterday. They had three 16s on there. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of money. And uh, to Rick Pierce's point with Basscat, like you're going to have to start building boats differently to get them on pad. Like when you put that much weight on the nose, um, it, it makes a big difference. Like with a mount, with a big metal mount and three 16s or a, whether – when you have that that much weight on the nose, right? Like we all know your bass boat's running the fastest with the nose out of the water as much as possible, just your pad on the back. So it's interesting to uh, to think through all this stuff when we add stuff like, right, like 360. And the, Oh, another huge example. I lifted up a trolling motor the other day. Uh, so I've got 360 on my boat, but I lifted up a trolling motor the other day without 360 on it and like almost fell in the back of the boat. I was like, wow, this is so much lighter. Like completely forgot what the weight was like without it. <laughs> right. like, right. We keep adding stuff to the front of these boats. And it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. Cause I'm a big fan of just fast boats and, and getting a boat to run the proper, proper way. Yeah. I don't think you're a speed guy if you're putting that on the front, you know what I mean? But the, uh-huh. the, just to circle back to that too. And that's something that a lot of guys aren't considering if they don't have it professionally rigged is, and even if you do have it professionally rigged, I don't know how many of the guys are doing it, but you start putting three units on the on the bow of a boat, right? You got to make sure that that thing's secured because if you stuff a wave, the amount of force there from that wave is incredible, right? So right. that that's something that we do here and we started doing, I think we started doing that at the beginning of this year, but we'll, we'll reinforce the fiberglass up there. So we'll take starboard or, or something along those lines and we'll put it behind the fiberglass, and, and allow 
you know, extra screws to be secured in there because if you just screw it into fiberglass and I've seen a lot of this threaded stuff that they put in the fiberglass, I forget what they call them, but, uh, some of the companies have you drill out and tap in a thread, like a brass thread. Okay. And I just haven't personally, I mean, I get to beat my equipment up on Champlain more than anybody, right? I was going to say, dude, you're a Northern guy. Like this is like, it's that, taken me like old. Yeah, it's taken me like five years to not break something. This was knock on wood. This is the first year I didn't break something. So <laughs> it, it's that's, not that's easy, to right? That's what's so cool is you're in it. Like you're in the tournaments, you're in on Champlain, and you're able to figure out, hey, how do we reinforce stuff? Um, that in itself is massive. I talked about that actually this weekend. Um, we were looking at boats in the parking lot and just, uh, the amount of boats and even, even I'm talking, not even Northern guys, right? Just even guys here, you go out on, we had a, a tournament on Oahe in South Dakota. Like, dude, it gets big. Like everywhere you can have a rough day. You can have um, a big barge wake come through any of that stuff right. to do stuff damage. And the amount of boats that have stress cracks on the front of their boat, where their trolling motor is or where their graphs are mounted is so often they should come. Like you said, out of the factory, super reinforced on the front end, the way boats are be going uh, from a strapping stuff to the front standpoint. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, and you'd, you'd be scared if you saw the way that some of these manufacturers cut out the bow. I mean, there's like nothing there. I mean, we've had we've had to turn a couple away and say, sorry, we, we just can't put these units on this boat because I can't send it out in good faith knowing this is going to rip out and end up in your lap. You know what I mean? I mean, we it, it's very rare that that happens, but... Because uh, we'll do whatever we have to do to reinforce it with with through bolts or whatever you can do, right? With starboard, any of that. Like we try to go the extra mile and pay extra close attention to detail and stuff like that because I know what's going to happen to it if we don't. And I certainly don't want some guy coming back to me and saying, "Hey, I got twenty thousand dollars worth of graphs sitting on the bottom of Lake Champlain," or, or oh. worse, hit him in the head, or you know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Dang. So that's. Uh, these manufacturers definitely uh, there's no reason that there should only be a, a quarter inch of fiberglass up on the bow you know i mean it should be extra thick and reinforced and i mean we all know right everybody's gonna have at least two graphs these days on the bow yep 100 percent, at least right like you're you're exactly right even uh and i think that's the i think you can do a lot with two two for that matter um when folks are seeing these guys running three and that kind of a thing um I just think that there's a lot you can do with two. You can do split screen stuff. I'm running two currently with both 360 and live scope on the front. Um, and I'll run part of my 360 graph with mapping. Um, so there's just a, there's a lot you can do with two and, and um, back to your point of finding the right fit for a customer customer, you know, like I think that that's the right thing too is like, Hey, what are you actually like doing? Do you like fishing? rock are you fishing offshore are you more of a shallow guy like what do you need you know right and that's the you know to that point you everybody sees live scope live scope active target right everything that we look at these days is is revolved around live sonar live but scope. you have to take the time and talk to these guys too because i get caught up in it and and you know in my opinion i don't even want to fish without live sonar anymore that's how bad it's gotten for me but Damn. i'm also <laughs> fishing lake champlain deep 
you know, offshore stuff, even if you go largemouth, you're still fishing in eight to 10 feet and eight to 10 feet to guys down South could be, you know, the deepest water they've seen. If they're, they're in Florida or, or some of these other lakes, right. They're, they're yeah. not fishing deep and, and live scope may not be the fit for those guys. They may find more benefit from mega 360. So you really got to take the time and ask these guys and talk to them. A lot of these guys are older too. And, and you don't want to just talk them into buying $5,000 worth of graphs and it's not going to benefit them. hundred percent. Yeah. And like you said, that's, that's a big thing too. I think, um, I had a guy approach me at the tournament this last week. Um, he saw me offshore in the middle of what seemed like nowhere. And it sort of was, and, and he was just like, Hey man, like, I saw you out there. It looked like you were live scoping. Like, what were you doing? And kind of just was walking him through what I was doing. And that's exactly like this guy is an incredible angler, right? And has done so much. Uh, and and it's like he's wanting to learn that kind of stuff because he just right. he's like and he's, he's he's like, man, I feel late to the ball game. Like, I see all these guys out there doing it, and I'm like, look, man, you learn it. Like, there's you can absolutely go learn this thing, and you'll be just fine. Um, just just go get one and and play with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's a huge change, right? You've got these guys who did well, and they're all all around. They're better fishermen than than a lot of us, especially the younger generation that all they know is live scope. It, it's definitely, I mean, I'm a huge fan of live scope. I bought Garmin live scope the day it got announced. When no it way. came out, it was before electron before I was even doing this business, right? But I yeah. saw it and I was like, man, I gotta have that, right? And I, I didn't even talk about it for a year because I knew how special it was going to be and nobody had it. So that that was huge. But you're definitely losing something if you're in the younger crowd and you didn't learn how to fish shallow. Like I grew up in Virginia fishing the James River and, you know, there was no GPS or <laughs> colored fish finders or side imaging. And but I learned a lot from that. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily help me with the live scoping deal. Right. But it still is an invaluable lessons that you've learned to actually fish and not just look at the graph all day. Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest thing is, uh, like you're saying, if you just rely on, it's a time and a place thing, like on a place like Champlain, incredible asset. And, uh, especially during certain times of the year, but then um, you have to be well-rounded, in my opinion, in today's in today's tournament world, especially if you're going to be the guy that's going to travel a lot because you're going to see so many different things. And if you can be out there um, scoping and, and doing that kind of a thing or or even just seeing my, my favorite thing with live sonar to this day is that it has taught me more about what bass behavior and fish behavior, how they relate to bait, how bait sets up on certain things where I'm seeing bait when I'm fishing, like all that side of stuff, like that is more of a benefit to me than the actual act of seeing one casting to it and catching it. To me, it's like, Hey, I'm in an area that I like how they're setting up and I've seen this. And then you start to pattern, right? It's the same thing. Like when you are fishing a top water and you realize like I am getting bites on a shallow point, like this is when I'm getting a big bite on a top water. And like, then in your head, you go to a tournament couple years later and that relates and that kicks back up same thing i'm starting to get with live sonar it's like hey i'm seeing this same thing happen i'm seeing fish around bait balls hey i caught him doing this one time i'm gonna try that again so like that's what's cool to me is you just learn and it's another tool and that's why bass fishing is so cool is you never get bored because it's always some new tool that you're doing yeah it's 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 incredible i mean i tell guys all the time i've learned more in the last three or four years since it came out than i have in you know, 25 years of fishing. There's, there's no doubt about it. You're Just right. seeing 
how many of them aren't even necessarily on a piece of structure, but they're around it. And like it, just how they set up on the structure, some are up high, some are down low. You can't, you can't do that with 2d sonar because if they're suspended and you get right over them, they disappear. Mm-hmm. And I, I taught myself how to do that at the lake down the road for me. And it, that's really where everything started clicking for me. It's a tiny little puddle and, and the small mouth just swim around the middle of nowhere. And it just, it, it's amazing to see what they do. <laughs> Yeah. And just an example from this last weekend in Idaho, like I was seeing fish set up on, on trees on, on standing timber. Right. And you'd, we'd go over and we'd catch one or two and it'd be, they'd be like wolf packs, a smallmouth, Right. And then I would love, what I was doing is I would go and I'd fish and I'd be going fishing for these random suspended fish that are out in the middle of nowhere on nothing like you're talking about, but I'd come back and I would see how long it would take. Cause I'd mess that school up. Right, uh, thrown in there, getting them, and they'll pulling them to the boat. That kind of a thing was throwing reaction stuff. Then I'd come back, and I would want to see how long it took them to set back up. And it would take like 10, 15 minutes, and they'd get set back up. And then I'd do it again, and I'd pull one out. And then it was so it was kind of cool to just see what those fish were doing. Or sometimes I'd go up to that tree, and they'd be thirty feet to the left of it. They just for whatever reason were hanging on the side, and it's just like, man, that stuff is. It's addicting is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's I can't I've done it to a fault. I keep telling myself next year is gonna be the year I go back to fishing largemouth, but I just fish in the bank. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it just draws me in every year. You know, it's just so fascinating. Like it's just cool. Like on Champlain, nobody was doing it when I started doing it. Um yeah last year i won the toyota series out there even a year ago they weren't because everyone i mean a lot of people were doing it this last year i noticed yeah there was literally i was by myself people saw me out there and they thought i was broken down or something like there's there's, they're like what is this you know (laughs) must be a perch guy or something you know they just wrote it off but then this year i mean talk about a difference there was everybody was offshore in the middle of nowhere yeah and the weights reflected it i mean there was massive weights this year in the toyota series yeah no, it was cool, and I uh, I drew Spencer Sheffield in that event, and talk about watching a guy do that at a world class level was incredible. Right, right. I mean, that's what he does, right? And just picking his brain on it was like, man, this is worth the trip in itself to come out here and, and listen to this guy talk about live sonar. Yep. Sweet, sweet. Well, awesome. Well, Steve, how can folks? We'll wrap things up here. We'll do a couple of last questions, but how can folks? Um, follow along with everything. How can folks dig into the website? What are some ways, uh, where do people need to go to get more information? Yeah. So the, the most information you're going to find is either going to be on our Facebook. You can find us at Bass Fish and Electronics on Facebook, um, or go to our website. We have a pretty extensive website with, with all kinds of, uh, tips and tricks. And we got some videos on there and, and, um, you know, all of the products we sell, everything we offer is right there on the website. So that that's our main two focuses. And um, we do have some stuff on YouTube and we're looking to, to add more every day. So um, as we continue to grow. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, with that, I'd like to ask all guests that come on the show. Last question is three biggest uh, or three personal best smallmouth, largemouth, spotted bass where you were when you caught them and what you caught them on. Yeah. So I'm not a big fish guy, so I don't have any great stories, but uh <laughs> biggest smallmouth would be Traverse city, Michigan. I've caught several five fourteens out there. I've still have not yeah. broke six pounds, believe it or not. So close. Here in the Northeast, but yeah. Um, 
that that's where we went out there and just had an incredible trip out there, all big ones. But um, largemouth, again, I've never caught any real big ones. Seven, two. I've caught three of those, uh, Florida and Gunnersville. Wow. So They're good ones. That's, yeah. And spotted bass, honestly, I don't, I don't know that I've, I've caught some in Virginia, um, but nothing, nothing big. So big bigs. Yeah. No. I'd say that's the most common answer on the shows. Like guys are like, Oh man, I, well, I haven't been to California. And then, then every once in a while you get some guy that's from California and he's like, Oh, eight, four. And you're like, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like two pounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly. something I'd love to do though, for sure. Cause I hear they, they're just like smallmouth the way they suspend and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's something like bucket list for me too. I, I think my biggest spots like a three and a half or something, which was a, which was a cool one. It was a big one. Um, and it was actually of all places, on Rayburn in January, I saw in an A rig and I doubled up on a largemouth in a spot. It was a big spot. Um, but that was uh kind of unique for that fishery for sure. But I would love to go even to like a table rock or a Hartwell or any of those type places and or of course like your your crazy fisheries in California would be also awesome. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Steve, for taking the time out, talking bass fishing electronics, talking some electronic stuff. And uh, we'll be sure to get you on again and appreciate everything you got going and taking the time out. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been good talking with you. Absolutely, man. Have a good rest of your night. All right. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.